0: So, very glad that everybody's here, Um, excited about what God has in store for us as a church and the opportunity for mission and things that we have kind of going on. I noticed some of you are freezing, and so uh, we're trying to learn how this works, and so they're covering themselves. What we learned is that if we turn it up and down, all the instruments go out of tune. So we're trying to figure this thing out, and so I would tell you that I could fix it between now and the next 15 minutes but that'd be a lie. So <laughs> next week we're on the air conditioning thing. We're going to figure that out. So the good news is, is that it's working. So we got that <laughs> we got that going for us, which is nice. So uh, anyway, you know, we um, we're going to be starting a new series in the next couple of weeks that's going to take us through Christmas and beyond, but today I wanted to visit about something that I was kind of reminded of over the past few weeks and the past 8 weeks we spent a lot of time doing a physical labor in this building. So when we First signed our lease. There was a lot that needed to be done. I mean, we knocked down walls, and, and I say we basically meaning people that worked here while I watched. But we walked, we walked down, we knocked down walls, and we painted, and and we framed in floors, and we did all these kind of things. And we spent a lot of time trying to make this space really work. And it reminded me a lot of my kind of teenage years because my dad was a uh, residential home builder, and so in the summers in my teenage years, my brother and I would spend. Working in quotes, for my dad. He had a little own-his-own-business, so it was just him, and, and and we spent time working for him, and we busted rocks, and we dug holes, and and we framed, and we did all those things that your dad told you do uh, when it was time to work for him, and, and I remember spending a lot of my times doing that, and, and I remember one day going up to my dad and going, hey, dad, am, am I going to get paid for this, right? And he said, are you kidding me? This is the whole reason I had a son, right? So you could do this stuff. He's like, I got a deal for you. You can live in the house rent-free one more night, and we'll call it even, right? And I was like, okay, I get it. And so today, I, I then my neighbor uh, he came over the other day, and he was like, can I mow your yard? And you know, I'm trying to trying to earn money, and and uh, I thought, well, no, I you know I kind of mow my own yard, I have a lot of money to give away. And I was like, have you got a bunch of yards? He goes, well, I've got one, and it's mine, and my dad pays me. And I thought, man, what a luxury! My dad was like, mow the yard now. I'm like, okay, mow the yard. There's no payment involved. I mean, that was crazy. But I think, but my, you know, my dad was a real softie. In fact, he nicknamed himself when I was in high school. He made us call him the ATM, literally, because he felt like we walked up and pushed our buttons and money came out and then we'd leave. So he made my brother and I call him the ATM machine for a while. But he was a super softy. But it reminded me of, of that kind of experience of just kind of saying, man, Building was a little bit in my blood. It's just sort of what we did in the summers. I mean, and so we'd we'd spend a lot of time working on it. And I I spent a lot of time walking around this place and and working on it. And it reminded me multiple, I was reminded multiple times of Jesus' own words about building um, and about foundations and how we spent a lot of time trying to make this place look like we would want it to look. But all that really doesn't matter. I mean, it's just stuff. It's just paint on the walls and light bulbs in and those kind of things. But what really matters is as a church, how we build our lives. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at Jesus' thoughts on foundations and on building, and, and the fact that I believe that Jesus is calling us as followers of Christ and as a church, not to build our lives on moral principles, but instead on a life that is radical when it comes to following the teachings of Christ. And what it means is what matters for us as a church is not what this building does for us and what it looks like and how we feel about it, but instead how we walk out of this place totally transformed, ready to impact the world, the truth of Scripture. So if you've got a Bible, you can open up the book of Matthew chapter 7. If you don't, there's one right there in, uh, in front of you. We'd love for you to follow along um, to with us. Uh, I always tell everybody these Bibles are yours to keep. If you don't own one, please take it. If you, uh, if you have one, bring it each week. We're in it every single Week, uh, we're going to be in the, book of, the Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter seven, end of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me give you a a little thought on the Sermon on the Mount first. Uh, Sermon on the Mount is that section of the book of Matthew, chapter five, six, and seven. It's the longest. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because it's the longest recorded discourse of kind of Jesus has in all of Scripture. So it's the longest, start to finish kind of Jesus talking moment, if you will, in all of scripture. And I think that's why over history, people have called it the sermon, because it just kind of feels like it starts and just goes and goes and goes and goes. And and it's really that moment where Jesus is, is instructing and teaching. A lot of times we think that the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus standing on the side of this mountain, teaching this crowd of people, these great things about, you know, fasting and prayer and murder and divorce and how to really live with these great moral teachings. In fact, so many people that I know who love Jesus but hate Christians, right, because they think Jesus is a great moral teacher and that's really about where he resides for them, but they don't like the hypocrisy of Christianity, I always point back to the fact that it goes, we could just live by Jesus' moral principles of the Sermon on the Mount, man, society would be great. Because we look at that Sermon on the Mount and we say, this is sort of that that breadth of of teaching that Jesus has where he teaches the people how to live with these great kind of moral things. But really, that's not really how the Sermon on the Mount happened at all. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, right, verses 1 and 2, we see a a really interesting kind of recording. And that is Jesus says to the disciples that he, he saw the crowds coming right? So he went up to a mountainside, basically withdrawing by himself. So he sees everywhere Jesus went, these huge crowds of people gathered. And he sees these huge crowds of people coming. So he walks up to a mountainside and he sits down. And then the first part of chapter five says that the the disciples followed Jesus and they sat around him. So it's Jesus and these 12 guys. And it says he began to teach them. See, the Sermon on the Mount actually started as 12 people being taught how to follow Christ. And these were Jesus' best friends. They were the followers. They were his disciples. And he was teaching them. He's basically saying, this is what a life that follows me looks like. And then after that, what happened over the course of the next little you know, kind of Jesus talking is a crowd breaks out. People find Jesus. And the next thing you know, Jesus is sitting on this mountainside and there's a 100 or a 1,000 people gathered around listening to him teach. But what started off as, is not a way to teach the masses about moral living. But it started off by looking at these 12 guys saying, if you're going to follow me, this is what life has to look like. And really for the church, for us as Christ followers, this is where we begin. We don't look at at the Sermon on the Mount and go, oh, these are great things to know about prayer and about fasting and about how not to murder and about, you know, those kind of things. But instead, it's Jesus looking at me saying, if you're going to follow me, your life has to be marked by the way that you live. And so we're going to unpack the last part of that, all right, a very famous part of that out of chapter 7, because I believe Jesus is going to talk about building in foundations and not building on moral principles that say, make sure you do this and don't do that but instead building on something that will last, the very words of Christ himself. So, book of Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start off in verse, how about 24? Sounds good. Before we open up God's word, let's take a moment, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word is powerful, it's real, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, Lord, each week we pray uh, some of these same things, but God, I'm just reminded as I open your word that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. Uh, God, it is not a, uh, a guidebook for our lives, it's not a handbook, it is your very word breathed on the page. And so, God, we pray that as we read your word and as we process it, as you teach us, God, it would turn our lives upside down. Uh, Father, we wouldn't look at these things and say, boy, Jesus was a good teacher. We'd look at these things and say, man, Jesus was a radical revolutionary that calls my entire life into question. And Lord, challenge us as a church to walk out of this place radically transformed ready to live a love, uh, Father, that changes the world. Take a moment in your own heart and just pray. Ask God to move in you this morning. Just ask God to speak to your heart in a new way, in a fresh way. Just whisper that in your heart. And if you're here for the first time and uh, you think that's kind of weird, just pray a little bit. Just whisper something. Ask God to show you something. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, behind you, even if you don't know their name. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we love you. We thank you just for the opportunity to gather in your presence. We remember our uh, brothers and sisters all over the world, our Father, that are worshiping you, and in countries where we, they don't have the freedom that we have. And God, we we rejoice with them and celebrate with them and pray blessing on them. Our friends and. Nicaragua, our friends in China and Guatemala, Father, our friends in Bosnia, Lord, uh, we're reminded of the sacrifices they're making to follow Christ. And so, God, we, we lift them up to you this morning as we, uh, we pray and we open your word. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week we always, if you've, I explain this every once in a while, but every week we always pray that God would open our hearts to a Scripture. I truly believe that we will never be able to open up God's Word and understand it. We see that all the time, pointed out, that the only reason we can understand God's Word is because it's revealed. God reveals truth to us. So we pray the Holy Spirit will reveal truth. That's how we approach God's Word. We say, God, teach my heart. I'm not going to figure this mess out. On my own, there's just no way. There's no way I can draw myself to you. You draw men unto yourself. So we always ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, right? The second thing we do is we always pray for somebody else. I just want us to be in the habit of praying for other people. My, my Christian experience, my church experience is not about me coming here and getting something for myself, but instead me being used to impact the lives of people. And I think that worship is that same way. I really believe that, that we can have an impact on each other's lives by opening up our hearts and being vulnerable enough to say, you know what, I don't know this person. I think, you know... I would never, under any other normal circumstances, just kind of pray for him. But under my breath, right here where I'm sitting, I I want this person to have an encounter with the Lord because I know that this whole thing is not just about me. So I always pray for those kind of things, and that's kind of why we do it. It's it's not a ritual. It's kind of an important part of our our worship experience. Now, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, and he's basically giving a building Uh, foundation illustration that we've all heard and we actually use in in kind of secular places in our life as well. And these words should sound very familiar to you as we read verse 24 through 29. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock, but everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of their teachers of the law. Very familiar Kind of uh, analogy that Jesus uses to equate his teaching, right? I mean, we've heard the, you know, you build on the foundation. The winds and the rain come, and you stand. You build on the sand, and it goes away. And we've actually used that in other secular areas of our life as well. We've probably heard that metaphor, you know, build your house on the sand kind of deal. And a lot of times, we ascribe it to Jesus. What kind of moral principles or teaching on moral things. We develop a moral foundation. Uh, and you always hear, you know, we need a moral foundation as a country. We need a moral foundation as this. And, and so we've equated this teaching to a moral bedrock, if we will. If we just can hold that moral bedrock, everything else will, will end up being okay. But I really don't think that's what Jesus is teaching here at all. And I'm going to get to that in, in just a moment. But before we dive into sort of the uh, nitty-gritty of this um, analogy, this, this metaphor, this picture of buildings and sands and streams, I really want you to understand what Jesus is doing here because it's really important. And we glaze over verse 24 in order to get on with the story, but verse 24 is really what the entire thing is all about. And I want to show you a couple things. The first thing that Jesus says is he says this, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So everything that Jesus is talking about over the past three chapters comes up to this line. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like, and then he goes on with his analogy. Now, we glaze over that because we want to get on with the sand building or the house building on sand and rocks and get to that thing and and understand what that sort of part of the, the sermon is really meaning. But what's really powerful here is what Jesus is saying, and I don't want you to miss it. And he says three things in here that we don't want to pass up. The one in the middle I want to start with, which he says, who hears, first part, these words of mine. I want to start with that because we have to understand the authority and the radical claim that Jesus is making when he says These words of mine, whoever hears them, these words of mine and puts them into practice. you got to understand that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes and those kind of people, they pointed to the words of other people. Their whole life was pointing to the words of the prophets, right? So the teachers of the law would point to the words of the prophets, and the prophets pointed to the word of the Lord. Right? That was how the succession of kind of uh, authority went. The teachers of the law didn't say anything on their own. They were always pointing people to the prophets, to the law. And the prophets were always pointing people to the word of the Lord. Right, That was how te- the Old Testament, New Testament, that's how this stuff works. But Jesus does something very radical here. He says, whoever hears these words of mine. What Jesus is doing is he's basically saying that my words carry the very authority to build your life upon, to anchor your life. Now, just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, not only is he the entry point to salvation, he is the gate to eternal life, right? But he also equates himself to God's son. The claims that Jesus is making are very radical, and I think we get hung up on this because we want to believe that Jesus is just a great moral teacher. So we look at the Sermon on the Mount and we say, oh yeah, you shouldn't get divorced, or or you shouldn't murder people, or you should fast, or you should pray, or you should do these things, and those are good teachings. You know, don't covet what your neighbor has, and, and you know, don't steal from people, and we live according to those things, and life gets good. And so we equate Jesus to a good moral teacher, but if we really read the words of Jesus, we've got to deal with a few things, and that's that he tells us that he's God's son that's crazy. We can't believe the teachings of a moral person if he's banking on the fact that he is God. I mean, today we would say that's ludicrous, but Jesus says, my words carry the very authority of God. In fact, they are worth building your life on. Now, for a Jewish person to hear, the only thing we would build our life on is the law. That's it. And Jesus says, these words of mine that you hear are worth building your life on. He's basically saying, look, my words carry authority. In fact, at the very end of that section, listen to what the crowd was amazed at. They weren't amazed about what he was teaching. When he had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. See, Jesus taught completely different. He taught as one who said, these words are mine, right? So he has authority. So we can't miss that. Jesus has got this authority that the other teachers didn't have. He also says, whoever hears these words, so we back up a little bit, whoever hears these words of mine, now, that idea of hearing is really interesting. And I think that for a lot of us, it's a lot easier said than done, right? Hearing the voice of the Lord, hearing the word of the Lord is easier said than done, really for two reasons. One, because I think we live in a culture with a lot of noise. We have a lot of noise around us. And not just like noise from downstairs and noise from the street, or you came in the alarms going off next door. But I mean like Noise, like competing things for our time, right? There's, there's work to be done, there's busyness, there's activities, there's stuff that just seems like life never ends and just goes on and on and on and our lives are competing amongst and around all the noise and when there's a lot of noise it becomes very difficult to hear, right? So when Jesus says, if you hear these words, we've got to understand that in our culture, in our world, we are competing. The Word of God is competing with all the noise in our life, and it becomes very difficult to hear. You don't know how many times in my own life, my my time with the Lord, my ability to spend time in prayer, or my ability to spend time in the Word competes with all the other things. Whether it's family, or work, or stuff, or things, my time with the Lord competes for that, and oftentimes, I don't put myself in a place where I can hear God's voice because I surround myself with a bunch of noise, bunch of noise, things. So it's easy to see how we can get distracted. The second reason I think it's easier said than done to really hear the voice of the Lord is because, well, really, we hear, but we don't listen. Now, I'm going to give you a quick little Greek grammatical lesson, not that anybody cares, but I think it's really interesting, and that is the Greek verb to hear, all right, it's a, it's a verb. And when it's followed by a noun, uh, that's, and, and there's five kind of ways that you parse out a, a Greek noun. Um, this is so silly, but I, I don't know why I'm telling you. But I think there's, there's five ways, but it's interesting. In and, and two of those cases, uh, the genitive and the accusative, all right, there are two different cases. When a, when a Greek verb, all right, the verb to hear is followed by a noun in the genitive case, it means to hear with perception. So it means basically to hear the sound. So if I hear, I hear the car honk, right? I can hear Treb making noise. I can hear my baby crying. So when followed by a noun that's used that way in the, in the uh, genitive case, it means I hear the sound. The tree fell, snap, I heard it crash, all right? When that same verb to hear is used followed by a noun that's in the accusative case, which is a different way to parse it or kind of, it's basically an ending. When it's used with a different ending in the accusative case, it means to hear with understanding. What it means is that there's a difference between hearing and listening. Now, anybody that's been married knows the very truth to this, right? I can very much hear you. I'm just not listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth, right? So I can hear and not understand. Now, my wife has told me this all the time. I have heard her. I have said it, but I have not understood what she was saying. Now, even though I hear her sentences and they form and it means, you know, I need you to do this and I understand what that means, what she's really saying is something very different. I didn't understand it. Now, I understand she said take out the trash, but what I didn't understand was the fact that she's saying when you don't do it and I ask you to, it devalues me and I feel like you're not listening. You know, our words mean different things, right? Well, this Greek verb, when followed by the idea of these words, which is the noun, in that genitive case means that not only hear the word of Jesus speaking, but that I hear it with clarity of understanding. Now, this is a different thing, right? Because we can all hear it, Lord. I mean, you can walk up here and you go, man, Trevor, I hear you speaking, and that, that sounded great, right? But to hear it with understanding of what God is speaking to you is different, very different. And that is because we've got to be able to listen with our hearts and not just with our ears because we have selective listening, right? We hear what we want to hear, right? And so we do that with the Lord, too. Um, I don't necessarily want to hear that, so I tune it out. But Jesus says these words of authority of mind, would you hear them with understanding and then finally put them into practice. So not only is it important that we understand the authority in which Jesus speaks and we hear with perception, like depth of clarity of what the Lord is saying, but then we have to begin to live it. Because it's one thing just to say, man, I heard that the Lord spoke to me. That is great. But if it doesn't change the way that we live, if it doesn't alter how we live, then they're just words, and we're missing everything, because we have to begin to let them alter our lives, it's one thing to hear Jesus speak, it's another thing to say, Jesus, your words have changed the way that I live, and I have people, and I said this earlier, I have people all the time, well, not all the time, every once in a while someone will come up to me after church, maybe that sermon was great, right, so every once in a while someone will say, that was, that was great, and I always say, Why And they say, because usually almost every time, and you're probably guilty of this if you ever told me this, because I just needed to hear it. And I always want to say and never do say, no, you know what you need (laughs) is you need to hear it and then have it change the way that you act or live. But nobody really wants to hear that because... You know, that means something different to us. But that's what Jesus is saying. It's one thing to go, man, that was powerful. Or I read the scripture today and it moved me. And it's a completely different thing to say. It moved me so deeply that I cannot live the same way any longer. Today, life changes for me. Because I heard with understanding the authority that was spoken through God's word to my heart. And I understood it. And I put them into practice. So Jesus says all that. To say, whoever hears with understanding these words of authority that are mine, literally God's word, right, and puts them into practice. Now, our analogy, our metaphor hangs on that. Now, whoever does those things, now they are like a man who goes out and he builds his house on the rock and the storms come and the rains and the winds and the house stands. But, he says, whoever hears with understanding, same Greek sentence, whoever hears with understanding, these words of mine, authority, same thing, the only difference is, but does not put them into practice, is like someone who builds his house on the sand, it's a fool. So it's not about saying, oh, I get the moral teaching or I don't get the moral teaching. It's saying we all hear and understand the same thing, but it's got to alter my life. So if God's word is not altering your life, you have to ask yourself, am I really hearing with depth what God is speaking to my heart? Now I look at this kind of picture and I say, you know what, this metaphor really works for a couple of reasons. And it works really powerfully in those times for for a couple of things. One, Jesus was a carpenter. A lot of times we forget this. For 25 to somewhere around 27 years of Jesus' entire life, he would have spent as a carpenter, apprenticing to his father Joseph. That was the way that life worked right? The son was brought up in the ways of his father, and he would apprentice, and Joseph was a carpenter. We know that, and so Jesus would have spent his time helping his dad the same way, well, not really the same way, much better way than I spent helping my dad in the summers when I was a teenager. But those days, you were raised from three and four years old to be able to have a craft because your job was your life, right? So Jesus was a carpenter. In other words, he built, he understood foundations, and this would have made sense. I heard a great preacher one time say, do you understand that when Jesus, when Jesus being a carpenter, you know when he talks about building, he knew what he was talking about? This is the God that took the sky and formed the stars. The Psalm 139 said, breathed life into your lungs. Wouldn't you want to sit in a chair made by that guy? I mean, talk about the greatest chair ever made is Jesus going, Yeah, hey, I'm gonna make a chair. Well, that's that chair's legit, is what it is. Jesus was a carpenter building what it made sense, all right, so it works because Jesus knows what he's talking about. The other reason it really works is because it worked geographically. In ancient Israel, even in Israel now, there are wet and dry seasons like there are in a lot of parts of the country. In the dry season, it is dry, meaning absolutely no rain, arid, desert, desert. Nothing. Six, seven, eight months a year it is dry. And for two months a year or three months a year when the wet season comes, it rains every day. Every single day. And the entire landscape changes. And people would have understood that it's really easy to walk around in the dry season and see this dry, arid land and be like, this is a perfect place to build. The ground is hard. I just sort of anchor my house in here. This is flat. It works well. But anybody that's lived in the area long enough knows that when the rainy season comes, those flat, areas well they turn into gullies and those streams rise and those flood waters come and anything in its path is going to get washed away and it happens every single year and everybody in that audience would have understood exactly what jesus was saying because they all knew somebody who built something in the middle of one of those gullies and watched it watched it wash away so it would have made sense jesus knows what he's talking about and they would have said yeah we saw my uncle uh, freddie you know he built a house in the middle of that sand deal gone that was funny i mean They would have got it, right? They would have got it, and it would have made sense. For us, it doesn't make a lot of of sense, but thinking about it in terms of how those people would have seen this is really powerful. And really, there's there's really a piece here that I think is is really super important, and sometimes we miss, and that is this. Whether it was the wise person that listened to the words of Jesus and put them in practice, or whether it was a fool that didn't, guess what happens in both scenarios? The rains come. No matter what, the rains come. The rains come, it says the winds blow and the streams rose, in both cases. And I think a lot of us don't like to hear this because what we want to hear is that if I build my life on the moral teaching of Jesus, then everything will be fine. Everything will be good. And, and I love the fact that Jesus doesn't say, hey, the guy that hears these words and puts them into practice, he builds his house in the middle of the gully and guess what, it never rains. He built a magic house and it never rains. But that's not what happens. Whether you're smart, wise builder, or whether you're a foolish builder, the rains will show up. It means that whether you're in the middle of chaos right now or not, it will happen. At some point in your life, calm will go to chaos, the rains will come, winds will blow, and your life will turn to chaos. That is the promise that we see in Scripture, which is life will be difficult. In fact, as we talked about last week, with Paul, when you give your life to Christ, life actually probably gets more complicated. For Paul, it got more difficult. Surrendering his life to Christ, right, got him a bunch of years in prison, got him beaten multiple times, shipwrecked, bit by snakes, imprisoned up in Rome. I mean, his life got more difficult. A lot of times we think that if we just say, Yes, Lord, I finally give into this, things will smooth out. The truth is, it's not going to happen. Rains come. But in the middle of those rains is where the difference is. And what Jesus says is that when we hear those words of his authority, words with understanding, and we put them into practice, when the rains come and they will come, whether they're today or whether they're seven months down the road, they will show up in our lives when they come, right? If you built your life on the words of Christ, put them into practice, your life will stand. I'm not talking about houses. He's talking about lives. It will stand. And if you don't, it will wash away. Now here's a big misconception with this whole story, is that we think it's about moral principles. If we just put a few moral stakes in the ground, when life gets chaos, we'll be able to at least have an anchor point. So if I just say, I'm not going to sleep with anyone till I get married, or I'm not going to drink, or I'm not going to do drugs, I'm not going to murder people, whatever, and these are my kind of moral stakes. I will go up to this point, but I will go no farther. When life goes crazy, as long as I have my moral stakes in the ground, then I have a foundation. We talk about it kind of as a country a lot. We just had a moral foundation. The truth is, this is not what Jesus is talking about in the least. He's not talking about a moral foundation. Verse 24 says, Jesus says, whoever hears these radical, life-altering words of mine, and just a few verses earlier, he said, I am the entry point to all salvation. If you want to follow me, you have to walk a narrow road, not the wide road that leads to hell and destruction, which is what he says, but the narrow road that leads to life. Few find it. Jesus is basically saying, I'm not giving you some moral windows. I'm telling you that if you will give your life to me, when life explodes and houses get washed away, you will be saved. You will have an anchor point that lasts for eternity. He's not talking about a moral compass. He's talking about the fact that when we have our lives radically altered by the teaching of Christ, and we begin to follow him, when life goes to chaos, when things go struggle, we have a foundation that is eternally secure. Nothing can knock us off it. I hear all the time that this is a, a teaching about having moral boundaries and compasses, and it's just not true. What it is, it's about saying, if we actually hear the words of Christ, it should show, so radically alter our lives so radically, we walk away totally changed. We put these words into practice. And if we live out the words of Christ that we hear God speaking to us, our lives are eternally secure. We have an anchor point in Jesus Christ. As I think about our life as a church, what I think about is this. When we begin, and what we do in here, when we begin to do work in here, and what we do in here matters very little. Very, very little. It's like sitting on the side of that mountain listening to Jesus talk. They're just words. If we don't walk off the side of that mountain and put these things into practice and begin to let them alter our lives in the way that we live every single moment of every single day, we are missing the call of what it means to follow Christ. If as a church we walk in here and we celebrate each other, we pat each other on the back, we have coffee, we tell each other how great we are. We walk out these doors not impacted, not changed, not revolutionized by the teaching of Christ. We're just taking up space. What Jesus is saying If you do that, you're a fool, and the rains will come, and your life will be swept away. But if you walk off this mountainside, and you put these words that I've just spent pouring into your life into practice, you let them alter you and change you, these words of authority, the very words of God, your life will be changed forever, eternally secure. As a church, my heartbeat for us is this, that every day we feel like it's a walk off the mountainside kind of day. We walk out these doors and we don't say, hey, great words I needed to hear. We say great words. I didn't want to hear any of them because now I know I have to live differently because I know that when I encounter God's word, I encounter God. I don't encounter something Trev's telling us. It's great. I mean, we read this stuff ourselves. We look at it. God is speaking to you. We walk off this mountainside, down these stairs, and we say, God, change me. Impact how I live in the world. If we begin to do that as a church, I believe we're, we're living with a foundation that is secure. We've built the house on what matters, the teaching and words of Christ. So the question really for you today as you walk out of these doors is, how do I walk off this mountain? Do I walk off the mountain saying, wow, that was all right, or good words, or I'm glad Jesus decided to speak to me today, or whatever? Or do we walk off the mountain and say, I've been so moved by God's word that I can't remain the same, and I know exactly what God is telling me. Because the most way God, or God works that way he speaks directly to our hearts, and I guarantee you as you're sitting here, you know exactly what God is saying to you. And the question is, will you be willing to live it, to change it, to alter it, to be different, to put them into practice? And I'm not talking about a week or two down the road. I'm talking about today. Today is a day to begin to work on your marriage. Today is a day to begin to fix that thing in your life, to rid yourself of that, to walk away from that, to turn from that relationship, to begin anew today. Every one of us knows there's something that needs to happen down the road, but I believe Jesus speaks to us today. The rains will come. We don't know if they're today or tomorrow. So we anchor our life in Christ and his teaching now. So what has to happen when you walk out these doors? That's the question we live with. As we close our time in worship, I really want you to challenge yourself with that question by saying, God, what do I need to have altered in my life so that I not only hear your word with depth and understanding, depth and understanding, but that I begin to put it into practice. It means I begin to live it. And remember, think about these ideas. It's not about living it perfectly. Put it into practice means I'm going to live with this. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to try and change. God, I need you. How do we walk out of these doors as a church living what really matters? Let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll close our time in worship.